Well, turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to continue our journey through that book. And we've reached uh, verse, verse 11. But I'm going to read, I'm going to read back beginning at verse 8 because that's the, the paragraph here. It's a paragraph about deacons. So is, this is on page 1411 if you're using one of our, one of our Bibles. So at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of, of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, um, Pastor Felty has already begun this passage. He, he was uh, preaching from verse 8, 9, and 10. And so um, now we pick up at verse 11, still in this greater context here, this context about, about deacons. And I want to remind you that the word deacon in, in Scripture can, is translated as um, servant sometimes or minister. It's, a, uh, the, it's service is the idea. And so I want to look this morning at three aspects of the servants of the church, three aspects of the servants of the church. And the first is the identification of the servants. Who are these servants, these deacons? And it's raised because in verse 11, it starts off with the word women. Now, in some of your Bibles, it may say wives. And that's because in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, the word that there's a word that can be translated either wife or woman. In either way, they didn't have a separate words for wife and women. They had one word. So it, it was one word. And the context determines whether it means wife or whether it means woman. Some translations of the Bible, I didn't try to figure out exactly which is which, but some translations have put the word wives there. And when that happens, that means that the translator, the one who's putting it into English, has decided they made a decision that what Paul meant here was wives of deacons in verse 11. And then other translators just put the word women and let it up to us to try to figure out what was meant by the Apostle Paul. But we have here in the version we're using, it says in verse 11, women likewise must be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Then in verse 12 again, it says deacons must be... And it goes on. So this raises a question that I want to try to at least deal with in some way this morning. Who are these women? Are they, is this meant to be wives of deacons? Or is this meant to be, is it not wives? It's just women. And then if it's women, 
and not wives, then are these women who are serving as deacons or is this women who are serving with deacons? Um, Those are all the questions that uh, come to our mind. And I want to say before I start confusing you even further that uh, um, this is a passage that that is isn't as clear as we wished it would. You know, after you study this whole thing, I've been studying this all week. I went back to zero as if I'd never studied it before. And I started all over again and looked at the whole thing again. And at the end, I'm scratching my head saying, Lord, why didn't you just make it a little clearer? <laughs> why? So that we didn't have these questions. You know, just a little word here or there would have just solved the whole problem. But this is a passage where well-meaning, Bible-believing people um, come to different conclusions, and we have to give each other grace as we um, as we look at this whole issue. Nevertheless, I'd like to at least expose you to some of the main arguments for the different versions, and then tell you kind of where we where I look at it anyway, and where the denomination, the Bible Fellowship Church, looks at it. The first major question is in verse. Um, 11 when it says women is that what it means or does it mean wife should it be wife instead of women those who believe it should be wife uh, will point out that back up in verse uh, 2 the same word is used where it says an overseer then must be above reproach the husband of one Wife, that, that's, it's obvious that that means wife there. And then in verse 12, right after verse 11, the same word is used and it obviously means wife. So these people would say, well, in the context, the same word's been used two times and it obviously meant wife. So it probably means wife in verse 11. They also say that that uh, this reference to women is sandwiched right between two references to deacons. You see, it starts off in verse 8 and says, deacons likewise must be. And then in verse 12, it says, deacons must be. So this this reference to women is 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 sandwiched right between two references that speak about deacons. And thus, it makes sense. That this is not meant to be a separate category, but but it's it's something to do with the deacons, and therefore perhaps is the wife. And then another argument they use is that that um, in every other case for the overseers, that's the elders, for the deacons, later even in the book, in terms of the um, uh, widows, in every case that Paul talks about their marital faithfulness that that's an issue with all these people and they they know he they note that in verse 11 that's not brought up about the women it's not talking about their marital faithfulness there and therefore it's probably referring to the wife rather than to another another woman those are the main arguments that they use to say that 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 should be wife others then would say no we think it should be woman. And one of the strongest arguments for that is the way the word likewise is used. If you see there in verse 11, it says women likewise. If you go up to verse 8, it says deacons likewise. It all starts up in verse 2 where it says an overseer must be. And then it comes down to verse 8 and it says and deacons likewise must be. 
And then it comes down to verse 11 and it says, and women likewise must be. And it seems like with the use of the word likewise that way, that it's introducing another kind of another set of people. There are overseers, there are deacons, and there are these women. Um, and then one, <laughs> one argument too, that it's supposed to be women and not not. Um, wives is that the word there, T-H-I-E-R, is not there, T-H-E-R-E. You see, it doesn't say their women, verse 11. That's the thing. I was just scratching my head at the end of this, and I was thinking, Lord, if you just put the word there in there, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. But he apparently knows better than me. And it's not there. That would answer the whole question. There would be no discussion if it just said, if it just said, deacons must be this, this, this. There, then you know it would be wives. Their wives must be, but that little word there isn't there. And then the other argument that this is means women and not wives is that in the list for overseers, for elders, there's no mention of their wives. No, no, no discussion about what their wives must be like. But there is, if it means wife, there, there's a discussion about the wives of the deacons. And many people feel like that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would there not be a discussion on the one hand and there would be a discussion on the other? And so those are some of the major reasons why some people think that it means women not wives okay everybody take a deep breath this is terrible isn't it yeah one guy's just shaking his head thinking what are you doing yeah so you've got that and then people say well if it's not wives there's another question if it means women then is it mean women serving as deacons? They're just deacons. Or does it mean women serving with deacons? Is it perhaps a group of women that have been set aside by the church, they're recognized by the church, to help the deacons do their job? And there's arguments on either side of that. Um, on either side. And perhaps, judging from your faces, I won't try to explain them all. But let me just mention that... Um, uh, a few points. Number one, the role of a deacon. What is a deacon? A deacon's role is service. It's not a role of ruling and governing the church. It's not a role of authoritative teaching. And so there is nothing about the role of a deacon that is inconsistent with a woman doing it. Does that make sense? There is for elder, and we talked about that in detail before. If you're a guest with us, that's another sermon. You can get the CD. But, but not for deacon. There's nothing about the role of deacon that's inconsistent with having a woman serve in that way. And um, I must take a tangent here, though, and say this, that different churches use deacons in different ways. Haven't you noticed that? In some churches, deacons are, in essence, elders. So not every church uses deacons in the same way, and that confuses the issue in our mind. But looking at the scriptures, the deacons are the servants. 
the ones that are helping others in their need, the ones that are ministering to people at their point of need, just helping people and freeing up the elders to carry on the spiritual oversight and the teaching that needs to be done so that those people aren't, aren't consumed with meeting other people's needs. And there's nothing about that role of deacon as it's outlined in the Bible that's inconsistent with a woman doing it. There's also a good point is that there's no scriptural prohibition to a woman being a deacon. I find this to be a strong point because if when you go back to chapter 2, remember 1 Timothy 2, verse 12, there's a very clear, there's, there's no unclarity about this. There's no confusion about verse 12. There's, there's controversy about it because people don't like it. But there's no confusing what Paul is saying here. He says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. The scripture prohibits women from being elders. There is no such prohibition in the scripture about women being deacons. There There isn't any. As far as we know, the only prohibition is for that elder role. And then we have Phoebe. Turn to Romans chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Romans 16, 1 and 2. This comes at the end of this powerful, powerful passage. I don't have the page number written down, but Romans 16. So after this this tremendous passage of Scripture, or this whole book of Romans where gospel and Christian life is laid out. Some have said it's perhaps the most powerful book in the New Testament. At the end, Paul begins going through his greetings to, to people. And he, but he begins by commending to them someone who many, many scholars believe that this is the person that was actually carrying the letter. Paul was in near Corinth and he had written the book of Romans. He had written this letter and he hands it. There's no mail, right? There's no FedEx. So he, he hands this letter to someone to carry to that church. And often when that happens, you, you see people in the letter itself, they commend the person that's carrying it. They're saying, this is the, this is so and so. And it's well, it's very well possible that the person in verse 16 is the one that was entrusted with the only copy of the book of Romans in the world. And via this person, it's reached us. And her name was Phoebe. Listen how he talks about her. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant. That's the word deacon. And some translations even put who is a deacon or deaconess of the church, which is in Sancria that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. And so the question there becomes, because this word, it's actually, if you want me to say it in Greek, it's diakonon. So diakonon, which is where we get our English word deacon. That's the word for servant. Sometimes it's used in a general way. Uh, just a servant and sometimes it's used in its more uh, narrow official way a deacon 
That's the way it's being used in 1 Timothy 3. The question is, how is it being used in Romans 16? Is, this, is he calling Phoebe a deacon or is he calling Phoebe just a servant? And many feel that she's being called a deacon. Because in verses 1 to 5, if you keep reading, two specific churches are mentioned. And there are two specific women associated with those churches are mentioned, Phoebe and Priscilla. The one is called a servant or deacon, and the other is not. And several other women are mentioned in the greater context, going down to verse 16, none of whom are called deacon. There's Priscilla and Mary, Junius, Herodian, Trophina, Trophosa, Persis, Julia, and Olympus. All of them are mentioned and talked about. Only Phoebe is called a diaconon. Also, it's interesting that Phoebe is, is uh, mentioned and described as functioning with a specific church. It's the church at Sancria, which is just outside of Corinth. Priscilla is also connected with a specific church, which in fact meets in her home. But again, we note that she's not called a deacon, but a fellow worker alongside her husband. And so many people feel that Phoebe was indeed being called a deacon. Others feel that, well, it's, it's not precise enough. We're not sure from Romans 16. And so again, I say to you, why do I say all this? I, I, I'm doing this on purpose, so hang with me. Um, This passage in Romans 16 and in 1 Timothy 3 about women and the issue of being deacons or deaconesses, again, many well-meaning and Bible-believing Christians disagree on this. It's one of those passages, like I said before, where I wish it was just a little clearer, but it's it's the way it is and God's designed it that way. It's very possible that the person sitting next to you in the pew has a different opinion on this than you do. Or it may be that you're all equally confused after I've tried to explain it. But here's what I want to say. There's, there's, I think there's a broad agreement in this, in this sense, a very broad agreement. If you pull back and look at these two passages and think about, well, what is it that we all agree that they're saying? And that is this, that men and women together are to be serving the needs of the people of the church. Amen. Men and women together, that's God's design, are to be serving the needs of people. We must be careful, I believe, that in an attempt to resist the pressure of our culture and stay true to what the Bible teaches concerning our complementary God-given natures and roles as men and women, that we don't push back harder than what God intends. God has designed for male headship in the home and male authoritative shepherding teaching roles in the church. But that is all that's restricted to men. You know, I brought along a book. I want to read something to you. There's a fellow called Akinga from another generation. And he, he wrote about this issue. In a, he can say it better than I can. So listen to what he says. He's, he's um, uh, talking about this passage in Romans 16. He says, the outstanding thing about this list of persons is that more than a third of the names given are of women. 
At least nine or ten had gained prominence in church work so that they were known by Paul. We note immediately that Paul credits them with ministering, with laboring, with helping, with caring, which ought to suggest to us something of the work which women can do in the churches. These words are hints to us of the place of women in the Christian church. Paul very honorably gives them full recognition for their indispensable service. Such recognition should be given to them now. Then he speaks again about Phoebe. He says, here was a woman who was called a servant of the church. That literally means a deaconess, a servant, a worker in the little church at Sencrea. What a blessing her service had been to that little group of Christians. I think of the multitudes of noble women with great difficulty serving in the footsteps of Jesus and in their different stations. And I remember that Jesus said, I came not, for, to, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. They are following after him. Heaven will ring with their praises and will be filled with their glory. Not only the great women, whose names we know, are servants of God in the church, but so are the humblest and most obscure workers in the most difficult places. Chrysostom was called the silver-tongued. Augustine was tempered as the Damascus sword. Luther was fearless as a lion. Tyndale was persevering in holy ambition. The famous personages of church history were noted for their intellect, their piety, and their accomplishments. But at the homecoming of some of these faithful women, these mighty teachers of the church will stand silent with awe as the angels sing their praises and conduct them to the throne of the Lamb. Amen. Amen. Jesus himself said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Well, what has the Bible Fellowship Church decided? Back in 2005, there was a a decision that was made by the Bible Fellowship Church denomination. They studied this issue, and this is their summary little statement. They said this. Do the scriptures allow women to serve in the office of deacon or deaconess? was the question assigned to the study committee by annual conference. The conclusion of the committee is that the scripture does not explicitly say yes or no, but that the evidence of Phoebe in Romans 16, along with the qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3, implies that women did serve as deacons, and therefore scripture allows women to serve as deacons. That's the way our denomination has approached it. And they, but they're not, what the church has said is that it allows it, if a local church wants to try to work out some way to have women working with deacons or as deacons, we can do that. But it's left up to the, each local church. It's not, an, it's not a mandate that women must be deacons. And if we at this church decide to make some changes, I think we should go slow and careful because we don't want factions and fightings over an issue like this. As a matter of fact, there's a little bit of a danger in me spending this much time talking about this. Uh, One of the dangers can be that I can communicate to you that the scriptures are unclear about most things and it's hard to tell what they say. And that's not true. This is like the first time I've ever done anything like this, right? That's because this, this passage is, is like that and most others are not. Another danger, though, in, in spending this much time on this is, is this. 
And that is that, that somehow I might communicate that the main thrust of this passage is something to do with women. And it's actually not. The main thrust of this passage has to do with serving. Amen? It's about serving. It's not, it's not about this controversial or we've made it controversial image. And so the real issue, the real question is, are you serving? Amen? Are you serving? God's picture is men and women together serving Christ and serving people. That's the real issue. Uh, that's the real issue in this, in this passage. And so the first uh, aspect of the servants of Christ here is the identification of these servants. And we note in 1 Timothy 3 that it's men and women serving together. Secondly, let's move on now. Secondly, there's the character of the servants, the character of the servants. Look again at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. Let me back up there. All of the... the um, characteristics here that are mentioned have already been mentioned for overseers and we've already talked about all of these but there's one that he dropped in there that's new did you notice that there's one that he said in verse 11 that's that's new it says not malicious gossips and so since that's a new one i just want to spend a little time and think on it with you not gossipers I don't do this all the time, but I, I want you to hear the Greek word that's here for a gossip or a slander. It is the word diabolos, diabolos, diabolic. You got that? That's the word, diabolic. If you know, perhaps um, you've read some things, you realize that diabolon Who's that a name for? Do you know that name? That's the devil. That's Satan. The very word for gossiper or slanderer is the devil's name. And so we have our lists of sins that are bad. You know, oh man, you murder somebody, commit adultery, that's really bad. You know, we, 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 we have our lists that are bad. And then God has a list. And gossip is listed with the very name of Satan. That's what it, it's the very actual name. So that when you talk about somebody who's not there. And you talk about them in a negative way. And you're talking about them with people who aren't a part of the problem. And they're not a part of the solution. And your actual conversation is not, it has nothing to do with solving a problem. You're gossiping. You're talking about that person. You're being Satan-like. Remember, Satan's the accuser of the brethren. Satan is a liar. He's been a liar since the beginning. He's a killer. 
Slander kills people. It kills their reputation. It works against them. And so when you speak, that's what gossip is. Gossip is you're talking about somebody that's not there in a negative way. And, and, and your conversation has nothing to do with a problem or solving the problem. You're just, you're just putting somebody's name out there and, and speaking negatively about them. You are being devil-like. Our culture is full of this, right? And, and if you're in school, well, it's summer now, but you know what it's like when you're in school. How many of your friends, they're doing this all the time. They're just talking about the people that aren't there and making fun of them or cutting them down or, and, and um, speaking evil about them. How about at work? As soon as one worker leaves the room, what happens? The others start say, that guy's a real jerk. You know, that guy's, or she's such and such. And do you get sucked into that? Do you allow yourself to be sucked into that? Do you allow yourself to participate in gossip and slander? The character of a servant, the character of one who serves in the church. And remember, these these um, qualities that are given us in this passage are for us all. This is a this is a presentation of Christian maturity. We are all as Christians not to be gossipers. We're not to be slanders. We're not to be able to. We're, we're not to be participating in that. For to do that is to represent Satan, not to represent Christ. If. You are one prone to that or find, even as I'm speaking, that your heart is convicted. Then just do business with God in your heart and ask his forgiveness and ask him for strength. That I would not, Lord, speak about someone else in a negative way. You know, you perhaps have met people. And perhaps the reason the, the memory of certain people stands out in your mind as a good example is because this is such a problem in our culture. But you've met, perhaps it's a, uh, a dear lady, or it could be a sweet gentleman. And as you think about that, the, that person or those people, you realize, I have never heard him or her speak evil about another person. Can you, can you remember people like that? You, you can think of people like that. Friend, you want to be that person. Amen? That's who you want to be. You want to be the one that others think of and say, you know, I have never heard him speak evil of another person. I have never heard her speak evil of another person. We can be that way. We can be that way by God's help. The character of the servants. Now, lastly and thirdly, the reward of the servants, the reward of the servants. Look, look at verse 13. It says, for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What a verse. And though for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Note that this passage that speaks about this great reward for servants, for deacons, is not there's no corresponding one for the elders. I think that's interesting. <laughs> 
uh, it seems that back in verse 1, there's a great motivation for the elders. It's just saying that, hey, uh, if any man aspires to be an overseer, an elder, it's a fine work he desires to do. This is a noble work. So if you aspire to it and uh, you're chosen to be there, blessings on you. But with the deacons, it ends up and then just says, now, but, but the deacons, the servants, they obtain for themselves a high standing. There's a high standing here. And it says also that they have great confidence. You see that? Great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There is something, and perhaps, well, I, I, I don't think I understand it completely, but there's something that occurs within us. As we serve God and we serve him rightly, we serve him well, and that means not just with skill, it means with heart. That in our hearts we, we love other people and we use, the, however God has gifted us, we use those gifts and those abilities to help other people. And we do it for God so that as we're serving others, we're in our hearts, we're serving God by serving others. So there we serve and we help inwardly. There can be a great confidence that grows within our own heart. There are great confidence that we feel within us. I don't know how to explain it other than just to say it. But it's a reward from God that inside of us, as we serve, we ourselves are changed and grow in confidence and just joy in God. That he's blessing us. He's smiling on us. We haven't earned this. This blessing of God comes by grace, but we're just wrapped up in this thing called the Christian life where we we've received forgiveness of sins. And then the outflow of that is that we serve other people in the way that God has made us. We found our niche and we're just doing that. The smile of God is on us and we sense within us a great confidence in the faith. Brothers and sisters, I hope you have that. And if you don't, The way to find it is not to sit and study your Bible. You do that. But it's to get out then and to serve people and to get involved in people's lives and find the way you've been made to serve others and then do it and feel God's smile on your life. In closing, I'd like to read a passage of scripture that's famous, really. It's in John chapter 13 because we're thinking about servant service here and it's John 13 beginning at verse 3 it was a night that uh, Jesus was to be betrayed and he washed his disciples feet but listen to this it's a an amazing passage try to hear it as if you've never heard it before verse 3 Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel he girded himself then he poured water into the basin this is amazing this is the one who formed the ocean basins of our planet with a towel wrapped around him, 
poured in some water in a little basin. It says in verse 5, And began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Skip down to verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Here's our Lord's example. The Lord of glory washing his disciples' feet. And he says he's done this as an example for us. And the example, of course, is not to wash each other's feet literally, unless that's called for, but to serve each other and to consider no task as being below us, that we can serve each other. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. The reward of the servants is that they have a high standing. They have a great confidence within them. And they are representing and resembling their Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we bow before you. And we thank you for your grace in our lives and for your goodness in our lives. We thank you, Father, for this passage of Scripture. And although, O oh Lord, um, in my limited ability to, to read and understand, I, I, I jokingly say I wish another word was here or there, but I don't really mean that, Lord. Because it is your word and it is written exactly as you want it. And Father, I pray that, that uh, you would guide us as a church concerning the place of women and women working with deacons and how that should work out. Your will be done, Lord. We have no agenda. But we thank you for the picture you give us in your scripture of men and women redeemed by the blood of Christ serving and working together. We thank you, Father, for that. And we pray, O oh Lord, about our own character. And we ask, Father, that we would not be ones that resemble Satan with our lips, that we would not slander another or gossip or participate in the gossip, even just the listening to it. Father, give us grace to be people that resemble Christ and not the devil. And that, O oh Lord, reminds us of your great example of the Lord Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Father, thank you for the reward of being able to serve well and grow in our own confidence and to resemble our Lord in how we live. 
Give us the grace, O Father, to do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.